I'd invite you all to pray with me. Oh, gracious and holy God, uh, we are so grateful for your word because, Lord, left to our own devices, we would get it wrong so much of the time. And so, God, uh, help us settle into this time and space. Send your spirit in our midst uh, so that we uh, might hear uh, your word, your invitation, uh, that which you long uh, to reach us with this day, uh, so that we might uh, follow after you more faithfully, so that we might live more fully. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. We began our sermon series on Habakkuk last week with Habakkuk's lament to God about the violence, injustice, strife, and conflict that are rampant in the world of his time. Today, as we continue our reading of the prophet's book, picking right up where we left off, we hear God first respond to Habakkuk and then Habakkuk to God as their dialogue takes off. As we turn to the prophet's writing, let us listen to God's word for us this day in Habakkuk 1, 5 through 17, and 2, verse 1. Look around at the godless nations. Look long and hard. Brace yourself for a shock. Something's about to take place, and you're going to find it hard to believe. I'm about to raise up Babylonians to punish you, Babylonians fierce and ferocious, world-conquering Babylon, grabbing up nations right and left, a dreadful and terrible people making up its own rules as it goes. Their horses run like the wind, attack like bloodthirsty wolves, a stampede of galloping horses thunders out of nowhere. They descend like vultures, circling in on carrion. They're out to kill. Death is on their minds. They collect victims like squirrels gathering nuts. They mock kings, poke fun at generals, spit on forts, and leave them in the dust. They'll all be blown away by the wind, brazen in sin. They call strength their god. God, you're from eternity, aren't you? Holy God, we aren't going to die, are we? God, you chose Babylonians for your judgment work. Rock-solid God, you gave them the job of discipline. But you can't be serious. You can't condone evil. So why don't you do something about this? Why are you silent now? This outrage, evil men swallow up the righteous, and you stand around and watch. You're treating men and women as so many fish in the ocean, swimming without direction, swimming but not getting anywhere. Then this evil Babylonian arrives and goes fishing. He pulls in a good catch. He catches his limits and fills his creel, a good day of fishing. He's happy. He praises his rod and reel, piles his fishing gear on an altar and worships it. It's made his day, and he's going to eat well tonight. 
Are you going to let this go on and on? Will you let this Babylonian fisherman fish like a weakened angler, killing people as if they're nothing but fish? What's God going to say to my questions? I'm braced for the worst. I'll climb to the look tower and scan the horizon. I'll wait to see what God says, how he'll answer my complaint. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. So last week, Habakkuk ended his lament, naming that the teaching of God had become ineffective. That justice does not endure, that it in fact has become warped because the wicked surround the righteous. This week, as we dive back into the prophet's book, we first hear God's response. In fact, God responds, and the way in which God responds is significant. God is responding to Habakkuk's lament, which is laced with anger, anger directed not only at the people of Israel, but directed right at God as well. God's response to, God responds to Habakkuk's angry lament And as he does, he does not rebuke Habakkuk's anger, nor does he challenge his interpretation of reality. In fact, God actually affirms it, as God describes the judgment, the justice that is coming to Israel. Because it is being exacted in our broken world, it is warped, because it is coming at the hands of a nation that is more wicked than the Israelites themselves. The Babylonians would, just years after this exchange likely took place, end up conquering the southern kingdom of Israel, destroying the temple in Jerusalem, and exiling the grand majority of God's people, removing them from the land of promise God had given them in devastating fashion. People of Israel had turned their back on God, as they followed the leadership of yet another corrupt king who had risen to power in Habakkuk's time. As we talked about last week, the wickedness of the people can be traced back to the people's choice generations back when they first entered the promised land to demand a human king of God, despite God's warnings against this decision. The people wanted to be like the other nations around them. They wanted a king they could see. They wouldn't trust the leadership, the kingship of God, and they have struggled ever since. While there have been seasons of peace and prosperity, when a king would rise to power who sought to be righteous, so many of Israel's rulers were wicked, and the nation has been careening toward this moment that is one of the most significant in the people's history, the Babylonian conquest and exile. In Rolf Jacobson's commentary on Habakkuk, he points to the important work of the scholar Jerome Creech, who has convincingly argued that the term righteous is not first and foremost a moral term. Rather, it is first of all a relational term. The righteous are those who are dependent on God. And thus, because they know they are dependent, 
They trust in God's laws and follow them. The wicked, on the other hand, feel free to violate God's laws and their neighbor's needs because they do not rely on God. The people of Israel have not been following God's laws, but the root of that wickedness is that they have fallen away from their relationship with God. They have chosen to depend on human leaders themselves instead of God and are about to suffer the consequences as a result. Part of the beauty of the book of Habakkuk, even in the midst of its difficulty, is that we have the chance to witness an example of righteousness as the book unfolds. For while so much of the nation of Israel have fallen away from God, Habakkuk has not. The prophet's dependence on God is on full display as the dialogue between Habakkuk and the Lord continues. Habakkuk is as shocked as God promised he would be as he considers that God will allow and aid the Babylonians in conquering the people of Israel. As Old Testament professor Richard Nice points out, the Babylonians are even less restrained in their violence than the wicked of Habakkuk's community. No law restrains them. No kings or rulers inhibit their spreading violent conquests. They answer only to themselves for their might, for their might has become their God. There is absolutely no relational connection between Babylon and God. They are brazen in their sin. Their own strength has become their idol. They look to God for nothing, and yet God is looking to them to inflict punishment upon Israel. Habakkuk's anger and disbelief erupt as he responds to God's plan. God, you're from eternity, aren't you? Holy God, we aren't going to die, are we? God, you chose Babylonians for your judgment work. Rock solid God, you gave them the job of discipline. But you can't be serious. You can't condone evil. So why don't you do something about this? Why are you silent now? This outrage. Evil men swallow up the righteous and you stand around and watch. Habakkuk is a prophet that lifts our gaze from the problems and laments of our personal lives to take in the global panorama. The violence and injustice he is speaking out against are the kind that play out on the world stage and in systems of significant scope. Whether we are looking at what is unfolding in the here and now or reflecting back on our history, we can find so much evidence of warped justice where God's teaching is either abandoned altogether or corrupted to justify humanity's wicked ends. Punishment comes, not at random or without cause, but in the form of the natural consequences of our sinful ways. This translation of Habakkuk names it as discipline, which is a reminder that at its root, any punishment we are allowed to suffer by God is born from a desire to disciple us, 
to teach us so that we might move from a life that is littered with destructive consequences of our sin toward the life God has for us. Even though it can be difficult to see, since it gets played out in the sphere of our broken and violent world, punishment, discipline, handed down from God, is always born out of God's love for us. Habakkuk knows this love. That's part of what makes him so incredulous about God's plan, which on its surface seems so incongruous to the God Habakkuk and his ancestors have known, the eternal, rock-solid God who would never condone evil. Why, Habakkuk pleads, why won't you do something about this, he demands. There is so much happening in the world right now, so much that has transpired across history that leaves us with those same questions on our hearts. Why, we plead, why won't you do something about this, we demand. Habakkuk climbs up to his watchtower, and in his gut, he continues to trust his God and the love that has connected God to him and his people since God first called his ancestor Abraham to follow him. Habakkuk climbs up into his watchtower, and he waits. He faithfully waits for God's response. He does not turn his back on his God. Instead, he peers off into the distance, scanning the horizon, leaning in to see, to hear what God would say. We do not know how long Habakkuk's waiting was. There is no measure of time between Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1 that we have read here today. And the words from God that begin in verse 2 that we will read next week. I love that we will have a week's pause before we hear what God has to say, even though it may not be the most uncomfortable pause. Because I imagine it was at least that long for Habakkuk. Honestly, I can imagine God leaving Habakkuk to wait even a bit longer than just a week. For it is in that silence, in that pause, in that watching and leaning in, that straining and listening hard, that Habakkuk would have time to reflect, to see, to hear part of the answer to the question that surrounded him and inhabited him. For part of the answer to why, why things are such a mess, why the consequences are coming can be found when we take a good and honest look in the proverbial mirror. And the only way through the reality that has borne our why, borne our cry, involves not just God, but also us. With God, punishment, discipline comes so that change transformation might occur. That change, that transformation requires God's grace for sure, 
but it also requires us. We cannot distract ourselves from our own hard truths by pointing our fingers at those who we think are more wicked than we are. Instead, we need to be honest about our part in the mess. We need to seek to live differently, to seek the change that will end sin's destruction and allow grace's flourishing in its place. Our own nation is in a season of so much violence where there is conflict and strife at nearly every turn where justice is warped, and there are so many pointed fingers trying to place blame or name who the wicked are. And the resulting destruction does not end. In his reflections on Habakkuk, Richard Nice names a hard truth that I believe is an unfolding around us as we speak. The wicked, on the other hand, remain restless. There is a premonition that their dominance has a term limit. Wickedness never has enough. Its voracious destructiveness is a sign that it has not secured its future. It knows nothing of trust. Its greatness and exceptionalist, exceptionalness cannot mask the lack of a right spirit. I sit on my own watchtower with that question why stuck at the back of my throat and in the depths of my heart. I have sat here long enough to be done with pointing fingers, to know in my depths that we are all part of this mess and to recognize that there is no human leader who is capable of leading us out of it. It will only be by God's discipline, God's grace, at work in all of us, that we will humbly find our way. So I sit on my watchtower and choke out an ancient prayer around the why lodged in my throat through the tears that come in the face of our destruction. Renew a right spirit in us, O oh God. Renew a right spirit in us. May you take some time in your own watchtower this week. Join Habakkuk there. Peer off into the distance, scan the horizon, lean in to see, to hear what God will say. Amen.